Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third in the New Testament lineup there. We'll start reading at verse 39. This is our certainty in a world of doubt. The Gospel according to Luke. Subtitle is Christmas Gifts. will take us to the end of the year. Thus far, we've opened up the gift of certainty, promise, and then uh, the greatest gift last weekend. This weekend, we're going to look at grace. Grab your sermon notes out also. Look at the uh, quote there on the top of your notes. This is by Randy Alcorn from his book, Happiness. This is what it says. If we truly grasp God's grace, even a little, even a little, we would fall on our knees and weep. Then we would, we would get up and dance, smile, laugh, look at each other and say, can you believe it? That's when you understand God's grace, that's what begins to take place in your life. Now, here's my question for us this weekend as we look at our text. How does Mary, the mother of Jesus, go from a healthy doubtfulness? You, if you were with us last weekend, remember verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? The promise of being the mother of the Messiah. So she's, she's grappling with this. So how does she go from this healthy doubtfulness to a cautious surrender, verse 38, let it be according to your word, which I, would, I should have called it courageous surrender because her life will be ruined socially uh, because of having to face the shame of being an unwed mother. So we could say, how does she go from healthy doubtfulness to courageous surrender to now this weekend, we're gonna talk about this indescribable and indestructible joy that she experiences, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. How does she move throughout those three phases in her life and understanding what God's wanting to do in her life? And I believe the answer to that is that she begins to get a greater grasp of God's grace. I believe that the coins begin to drop for her. You guys know what I mean when I say the coins begin to drop? You guys, okay? How many, how many know what I'm talking about when I say coins begin to drop? Okay, there's, there's a few of us that know that. Not all of us. And so the coins begin to drop for How many have ever had one of those vending machines that you drop your coins in? Typically vending machine, the older ones, you drop your coins in and you push the button and out comes the product at the bottom. But how many have ever had the experience of a vending machine? You put your coins in and nothing happens. So what do you do? You bang on it. How many are thinking bang on it? That's exactly what you do. You first of all look around though. Then you go whack. We had one like that at the fire station. And, and then you whack it a few times and there go the coins. Clink, 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 clink. Out comes the product. See, what we do here on weekend services is that I put the coins in, the gospel, I try to give you the gospel, and sometimes the coins don't drop. So, that gives me the privilege of, I'm gonna whack you. 
I'm going to whack you hard until those coins begin to drop and then out comes the product, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You begin to experience that. That's what's beginning to happen in her life. She goes from healthy doubtfulness to a courageous surrender to indescribable and indestructible joy. The coins are beginning to drop for her. Mary's song of praise is called the Magnificat. And it's because the first words of that in Latin is that word, Magnificat. It's, it's quite amazing. It's the first Christmas carol. So here's the two questions we're looking at this weekend. Why did Mary rejoice? Why did she rejoice, as we're going to see? It's just it's quite spectacular what she says and what she does and how she uh, begins to experience this. And then what did Mary rejoice about? Because the answer will teach us how we can infuse our lives with this indestructible uh, and indescribable joy that she is experiencing. But uh, before we read our text and unpack these notes, let's once again, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father God, this, this is the most wonderful time of the year for some. And for others, it's the most lonely and sad time of the year. And still for others, it's the most stressful time of the year. Psalm 145.18 tells us that you are near to all who call on you, to all who call on you in truth. And we pray this morning that you would meet us right where we are. We pray through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit that you would comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. May your grace get a greater grasp on our hearts, producing in us the joy of knowing and experiencing who Jesus is and what he has done for us that no words can fully describe, no person, thing, or circumstance can rob us of. We pray these things in Jesus' glorious and beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Take a look at Luke chapter 1, verse starting in verse 39. So, So Mary has had this encounter with the angel. The angel told her that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And so what does Mary immediately do? Verse 39, and in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. I love this. I, when I read through this this last week and began to meditate on this, it brought tears to my eyes of this encounter she has with Elizabeth and what Elizabeth says to her. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth is six months along in pregnancy. The baby leaps in her womb. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what she says. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, exclamation mark. That's a big exclamation mark. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now here it is. Coins drop from Mary. So she moves from healthy doubtfulness to courageous surrender 
So we studied last week, verse 38, to now this indescribable and indestructible joy. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throngs and, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So the two questions we're looking at, why did Mary rejoice? What did Mary rejoice about? This will help us to understand a little bit more clearly about this indescribable, indestructible joy that she's experiencing. Why did Mary rejoice? Here's your first fill in the blank. Number one, we need community. We need community. Verse 36, if you remember our study from last weekend, as the angel is speaking to her, she's kind of in this this turmoil a bit, and he tells her, this angel tells her, "Your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, has also conceived a son, and she's six months pregnant, verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her, and, and, and as she's kind of reeling with this information, this revelation, there's no doubt she had to have been speaking to herself saying, man, am, am I delusional? What, is, what just happened to me, this, this encounter that I had with this angel? And I'm, I mean, God is going to save the world through a simple, poor, teenage, unwed girl like me? Certainly, I mean, she's just trying to work through all of this. She knew that in a traditional paternalistic society in a small town, she would always be seen as the bearer of an illegitimate child, The whole community would think she had sex with Joseph before they were married or had been unfaithful to her fiance. She also knew that that Jesus would be seen as a bastard and even made fun of because of that. And so what does she do? She's reeling with all this. Verse 39, that's where we started our reading this morning. Mary arose and went with haste. She arose and went with haste to Elizabeth. Oh my goodness, I love it. Verses 40 through 45, and as soon as Mary greets Elizabeth, the baby leaps in her womb and she is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to give Mary words of affirmation and validation and begins to stir within her this belief that she so desperately needed. And... um, and so it's just, it's spectacular. This idea of this being filled with the Holy Spirit, you're gonna see this over and over again uh, in this throughout the, the gospel according to Luke, but being filled with the Holy Spirit, I've oftentimes likened it to being drunk uh, in that when you're drunk, you're courageous and happy. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're courageous and happy. But for two totally different reasons, you're courageous and happy when you're drunk because of decreased uh, reality. 
your reality has decreased because so you don't worry about anything anymore. But with the, with the Holy Spirit, there's an increase in the reality that God is for you and not against you. He's with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's the Spirit-filled life. You begin to understand more clearly who God is and what he's done for you. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, Elizabeth here. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to proclaim and make these declarations about, about Mary. So Mary goes from healthy doubtfulness, courageous surrender to rejoicing. And I, I was trying to think of a way to, what's the best way to, to show this, of what she was experiencing? And so I had someone, uh, I got a visual aid up here this morning, and I had someone give me and Nancy a gift here recently, and I wanted to kind of use this as our, as our visual aid. But uh, I would say that when she started off uh, with her understanding of grace and this encounter with the angel, it would be kind of about this size right here. That's, that's a decent size coffee cup, wouldn't you say? How many have a couple of these in the morning? Have a couple of these? Okay. How many have like more than just a couple? Okay, yeah. That's what I thought. I'm kind of like right there with you. But, uh, but that's kind of where, where she was with her healthy doubtfulness, courageous surrender. And, and that was a good thing. But when she ran to Elizabeth and she began to hear these words of, of, of affirmation and validation, I, her joy went through the roof and it would be kind of likened a, a little bit more like this right here. Can I get a refill? I mean, she was, she was, it was overload. I mean, she was like, she was indescribable, indestructible joy. And my wife said, make sure you hang on to that. You don't drop it or anything, okay? I'm going to hang on to it. And so my doctor told me to cut back on coffee, and I said, I'll just drink one cup a day. <laughs> one cup a day. That's right. And so, uh, I mean, so, so it went from, it went from this, went from Healthy doubtfulness, courageous surrender to, oh my goodness, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my salvation. And uh, so let me ask you this. I'll be careful, okay. Not the way you're swinging that cup around there, mister. But uh, how many would say that this, this probably more represents your understanding of grace? Don't raise your hand, but just as you're thinking here, Maybe this represents your understanding of grace. Maybe you don't even have this as your understanding of grace. Believe me, there's much more to grace than what you could ever dream or imagine. And when it moves from this to right here, oh my goodness, you're overwhelmed. I don't know why someone would give us a gift like this. It's not like we like coffee or anything, huh? I better put this away. I wonder if they would refill this for me over in the coffee bar. Coffee bar, that would be a lot. That's, that's right there. Oh, by the way, I probably should say something because a lot of times people listen to us online. I just held up two cups. One was about, how big of a cup is this? About a 12 ounce? This is 12 ounce compared to, that's about a gallon and a half. That's my kind of coffee cup. Yeah, baby. I better put this in here like this and get it out of the way. Oh, did you guys hear that? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so here, here's the thing, because of Elizabeth's words of affirmation and validation, 
There was something that happened in the heart of, of Mary that she desperately needed. Now, God isn't going to tell Mary without telling somebody else. God didn't tell that to Mary without telling somebody else so that Mary could get some validation and affirmation from someone else. Does that make sense? So he's going to speak things to you that you're going to need the validation and affirmation from someone else. You're going to need that. And by the way, when someone speaks something to you, God should probably already be speaking to you those things. And so you cannot be self-anointed or self-accredited. You need the affirmation and validation of others who are healthy. She ran to Elizabeth because she knew that she had a history of being healthy. Remember in verse 6 of chapter 1, both Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous before God and walked blamelessly in all the commandments. So she has a, a history of credibility, and so she went to her to get the validation, affirmation that she needed. Now imagine if she would have gone to somebody that said, Mary, what are you thinking? You're crazy. You're out of your mind. You encountered an angel? Yeah, right. I mean, how often I've seen people run to the wrong person for that affirmation and validation. That's why you need to have people in your life that will validate and affirm you. I mean, even as a Christian, from time to time, don't you feel a little crazy? It's like, you talk to God? Really? He talks to you? What has he said to you lately? That's weird. You weirdos. Yeah, but he does. And so from time to time, we need people that will come alongside and say, hey, listen, you've heard God. That's, that's God speaking to you. And Mary's heart went through the roof because of that validation and that affirmation. And uh, delusion is, is way too easy. I mean, I was thinking about uh, delusion, and the first thing that came to mind was the decade long of American Idol. And, and how many people get on that show and they go through the tryouts and they actually have been told by their family and friends that they're going to be the next American Idol. And it, it, it takes, it, how many have seen that before? And it takes a whole panel of judges to say, you're horrible, you can't sing, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's almost kind of insulting to them. And they walk away and they cry and it's like, you couldn't see that? And a lot of people, and, and, and that's, that's just in that realm. Imagine in, our, in the realm of our, our marriages and our finances and every dimension of our life spiritually. We need, we desperately need people around us. We need community. We desperately need community. So let me ask you this. Who are your, or who is your Elizabeth? Who do you run to when you're pregnant and you're going crazy? Okay, that's, maybe you, you, that doesn't apply, does it? Yeah. yeah, but you're pregnant with God's revelation. You're pregnant with what God has spoken to you, and you desperately need to know, am I crazy? Am I, am I out of my mind? Is this where I'm supposed to be going? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is God speaking to me? I don't know right now. I need help. Who are your Elizabeth? So we need community. Listen to what it tells us in uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we need community. Here's the next couple fill in the blanks. We know God best in community. We know ourselves best in community. 
We know God best in community. We know ourselves best in community. That's just how God has, has worked it out. That's what we need. Desert Breeze is a place where strangers become friends and friends become what? Anybody? Family, yeah. Desert Breeze is a place where strangers become friends, friends become family. Uh, that's one of our value statements here. Our weekend service is the catalyst for life change, but life change happens best in, in small groups. In fact, I tell people this all the time, that if you have a choice between coming here on a weekend service or getting connected to a small group, going to a small group, I always tell them, go to a small group. You can always listen to us online. Go to a small group where you're connecting relationally, personally, because we need that in our lives. By studying the Bible and praying with friends, you will be able to see and experience facets of Jesus' beauty and glory that you will never, ever, ever experience on your own. By connecting with other Christians, you will also see uh, ways in which you are gifted and also blind spots in your life that you will never be able to see on your own. And, and uh, those of you that are married know that those blind spots, how many that are married have had your spouse point out a blind spot and it took you a while to, to come to terms with that? Yeah, we all have blind spots. It took me only like three decades to figure out what mine was after my wife had been talking to me for a real long time. But we need that. We need that input from others that we can't see. It's pride that keeps us from seeing those things. And so uh, let me give you another verse. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, it says, take care. This is a warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. All of us are prone to that. All of us can fall prey to that. And so, so what, why did Mary rejoice? Uh, it was because um, she ran to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth began to affirm and validate that we, we are desperate for community. We need people in our lives that will stir that up within us. So uh, I want to press that a little bit harder because some of you still don't believe that, but I'm going to lock the doors here. <laughs> We're going to pass around the, the clipboard for you to sign up for a small group. No, I'm not going to do that. But I'm not going to force you to do that. But you gotta, it's got to be a value within you. And I know it's difficult. What keeps us from it is pride. And it's often based on, on guilt and shame and all of that. We just don't want to get close to others and all that. But you need that. You desperately need that. You're not going to make it. You're not going to survive spiritually without it. There are things that God wants to speak to you and do in your life that are beyond your wildest dreams. But it's going to require that you get, start getting closer to others in a church community. And so that's the first big idea. Why did Mary rejoice? Unspeakable and glorious joy. And now, I couldn't help but think of this too, is that these two gals were chatting it up for about three months. I mean, I mean, they were just having a good time because I was thinking about this too. Zacharias, he was mute and deaf. <laughs> he couldn't put a stop to that. What was he gonna say? He can't say anything. She probably had him running around on a to-do list. Just get out of here because Mary and I are just hanging out and we're going to do this for like three months. Three months? That's crazy. Okay, that's awesome, huh? <laughs> 
Okay, here we go. So what did Mary rejoice about? Verses 40, 46 through 56. So let me give you a couple preliminary uh, thoughts before we move into the note part of it. Uh, you're filling the blanks. So what did Mary rejoice about? First of all, Mary, Mary through this magnificent, this expression of indescribable, indestructible joy, Mary identifies herself as the recipient, not the dispenser of blessing. Does that make sense? She's the recipient, not the dispenser of blessing. She is not identifying herself as the object of adoration, but one who is adoring the object of our adoration, which is Christ our Savior. I say that because Mary is not a co-redeemer as some wrongly believe and even teach. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, she's not co-redeemer. You don't get any indication here that, of that whatsoever. Roman Catholicism teaches that. It's heresy. And so, so there's no hint of that whatsoever. She is not co-redeemer. She shows us what a true worshiper of the Redeemer looks like. She does a phenomenal job at that. And here's another thing that we see about Mary. Certainly to be honored and very honorable in what, who she is and what she's done. But Mary's rejoicing is filled with scripture and deep theology. All the commentaries that I read, they, they were overwhelmed with, as she goes through this Magnificat, she's just, she's quoting scripture and kind of working through a lot of Old Testament. So she had saturated her life with, with Old Testament uh, scripture and theology. Let me just say something about that is that you guys know this, that financially, uh, that you need to probably have, and this is taught through Dave Ramsey and all the financial experts out there, you need to have about three to six months worth of finances saved up for that rainy day when you lose your job, the car breaks down, you need tires. Those are inevitable. So you need to have resources to draw upon. And if you don't, what are you gonna do? You're gonna have to move back in with mom and dad. Oh, I don't know, maybe not, or charge, charge it up, put it on your charge card, or whatever it might be. God forbid, you don't, if you don't have the resources to draw upon to deal with the, the situation at hand, the same is true spiritually. If you don't saturate yourself in God's word, to Mary, that was an arsenal for her. It was, it was equity. So that when God spoke to her, and she's trying to understand, her mind is reeling and then she goes to Elizabeth and gets the validation affirmation she needs. It's just working something that's consistent with what God has already been speaking to her through the word of God. And, and so things are gonna happen to you. Bad things are gonna happen to you. That's life. We live in a broken world. And it's inevitable. The Bible talks a lot about it. And God help you if you do not have a spiritual equity to drop on. A lot of times people say, well, why do I go to church? Because, you know, everything's going really well with my life. And so the tendency when people, everything's going well, they kind of put God on the shelf and they kind of do their own thing. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, when you come to church, when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you gather with other Christians in, in life groups is what we call them here, and, and what you're doing is you're building spiritual equity. And believe me, one of these days, you will need that spiritual equity. You will need to draw up on that. And that's what's going to get you through the difficult times, the confusing times, the hard times. We need that. That's what Mary is showing us. It's pretty amazing. Nothing can be real to the heart that isn't first clear to the mind. 
Our hearts cannot be inflamed by what we know nothing about. Your heart cannot be inflamed with who God is if you don't know him. The more you get to know him, the more you spend time in his word, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit will begin to light it on fire within your heart. Okay, what did Mary rejoice about? She rejoices a little about herself, and then eventually we'll talk about how she, she rejoices a lot about her Savior. Let's talk about the first one there. She rejoices a little about herself, verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Oh, I, I can't help but smile when I read that. It's just like, oh, she's having an encounter with God and an understanding of his grace that's just out of this world. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my my Savior. Those aren't two different parts of us. Soul and spirit are one and the same. Mary is speaking emphatically about being moved to the depths of her being. It's almost like if I were to put this in, here's how I would describe it. Basically, she's just, she's just saying, wow. That would be a good expression of my soul magnifies the Lord. Wow, the greatness of God. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The expression for that would be, mm, he's so good. Wow, he's great. Mm, he's good. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you did, wow, he is so great. And mm, he's so good. See, that's what she's experiencing. That's the grace of God. That's what she understands. In fact, let me, let me get you kind of warmed up here a little bit. Turn to the person next to you and go, God is wow and mmm beyond your wildest dreams. Real quick, do that to the person next to you. So notice what she says here, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has come to save me. He's my Savior, Savior. he's my Redeemer, verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He's not here to serve me, I'm here to serve him. I'm his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. I'm not the blesser, I'm the blessee. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Here's the next couple fill in the blanks. We are sinners saved by grace. I think that's what we can learn from this text. So she rejoices a little about herself. We are sinners saved by grace, and then letter B, this is more than we deserve or ever dreamed. Verse 49 she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. For me, I can't believe he's done these things for me. Now, this is really the, this perennial, this lasting note of surprise is a mark of anyone who understands the essence of the gospel of grace. Joy is the mark of a justified, justified person. People that begin to understand the grace of God and understand that they're in right standing with God that they have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the response would be joy. That's a, that's a normal response. Joy is the mark of a justified person. Grace has two parts. It has the part that says you're a sinner, and it has the part that says you're loved and accepted. You need to have both of those parts. 
And uh, Christian is, or, uh, Christmas, Christmas is about giving and receiving gifts. Some gifts, by their very nature, make you swallow your pride. For instance, if you decided to give me a gift, and you wrapped it up really nice, and you said, don't open it up until Christmas morning. And so I waited till Christmas morning, and I dug into that gift and opened it up, only to find that you had given me the gift of Rogaine. <laughs> you guys weren't supposed to laugh that loud. Or a membership to the hair club for men. Or let's just say I, I told you I like, I like books, and so you gave me a dieting book along with the Rogaine and Overcoming Selfishness was another book. And, and if I said to you, I, I, I said, thank you very much, it's exactly what I needed. By me saying that, I'm admitting that I'm bald, fat, and obnoxious. <laughs> so some, some gifts by their very nature make you swallow your pride. Please don't give me any of those gifts. <laughs> there has never been a gift offered that is an offense to our pride quite like the gift of Jesus Christ to us. And if you don't see that, so you don't understand why, why he came and what that gift is about. See, Christmas means that we are sinners unable to save ourselves. But don't stop there. It also means that we have a savior who went to extreme measures to save us by giving his life for us because he loves us and adores us. Listen to what, uh, a couple quotes here. One is from Nancy Lee DeMoss. She says, now see if you can track with this, undeniable guilt, undeniable guilt, that's us. We, we need to be there. Plus undeserved grace should equal unbridled gratitude. Make sense? Undeniable guilt plus undeserved grace should equal unbridled gratitude. Randy Alcorn, happy people never get over God's grace. They celebrate their conversion not just once, but over and over. That, that's what we're seeing in, in Mary's life. And um, so a heart that realizes how little it deserves and yet how much it has received is a heart filled with indescribable an indestructible joy. Mary knows what she's going to have to face. This isn't going as planned with her and Joseph, by far. And yet she says, she's basically saying, God, if I have you, I'm okay. I'm okay with any of this. You're the script writer of my life. And I found more delight and joy in you than anything that this life could ever, ever give me. And so there's that deep gratitude, a heart that realizes how little it deserves and yet how much it has how much it has received is a heart filled with indescribable and indestructible joy over God's amazing grace. You'll never be thankful for what you think you deserve. You'll always be thankful for what you know you don't deserve. So when you're out of touch with the reality of God's grace, I mean, you're not gonna have that indescribable, indestructible joy. Now let me transition this because we talked about here this idea of, uh, of sin kind of looking at our sin, she rejoices a little about herself. I said that, uh, I, I said that little because that's, you don't want to focus on that too much, 
but she rejoices a whole lot about her Savior. But listen to this quote. This is Scottish uh, pastor Robert Murray McShane, 1813 to 1843, left us with one quote that has become quite famous. This is what he says, and I quote, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. The, the quote really helps us to both keep our focus on Christ and protect us from the trap of over-introspection with our sins. So, so how do I know that I'm falling prey to, to one, one side or the other? So I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think, but I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. That would be that combination of understanding grace. Once again, grace has two parts. It has the part that says I'm a sinner, and yet it also has the part that says that I'm loved and accepted. You need to maintain that balance. So, so if you're humble but not confident. So what it should create within you is a humble confidence. I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful Jesus had to die for me. That humbles you. But he loved me so much he wanted to die for me. I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. By the way, let me just, let me reiterate that. I think there's maybe a few that need to hear that. There's no one that's ever loved you more than him. Oh my goodness. You get to know his love. There's no one that will ever love you like him. And the experience of his love the experience of his love is, is better than anything in life. It tells us that in, in Psalm 63, 3. His love, his steadfast love. His steadfast love is better than life. There's nothing like his, his boundless, irresistible love. And so, as you kind of work through the balance of that, if you're humble but not confident, that is you're fearful, you're out of touch with your Savior's love for you, how loved you are. If you're confident, but not humble, you're, you're full of pride, you're prideful, you're out of touch with your sinfulness, how undeserving you are. So it should maintain this really healthy, but that's, that's good healthy psychology. See, you're not gonna tower, you're not gonna cower. You're not gonna struggle with superiority complex, or an inferiority complex. It's, it's really a, what is known as a blessed self-forgetfulness because you're just captivated with the beauty of your Savior. That's what you have with Mary. That's a great, that's a sweet place to live. It's like you just don't, you're not preoccupied with self. And so you take one look at your sin and 10 looks at your Savior. That's what we want to do. And, uh, and so she rejoices a whole lot about her Savior. So she rejoices a little bit about herself, sinfulness, and she rejoices a whole lot about her Savior, verses 50 through 56. And, uh, and so, you know, as we kind of, as we're in this season, what is the meaning of Christmas? That's a good question. What is the, the Christmas spirit? You often hear those words in our culture, and we often think of Christmas humanistically, that is, our culture does. It's the time we, we stop mistreating each other at Christmas time. The rich and the poor, along with various races, come together and treat each other with, with respect. We treat each other humanly. Um, that's not the meaning of Christmas, okay? That's not the meaning of Christmas. It's the result of Christmas. See, the Christmas message is, is that God's only child became human so that humans might become God's children. So how do we know we're Christians. When we look at Mary and we begin to see what happened to her. I mean, she's the first Christian. 
really, in, in, in the sense of really understanding the message of the gospel in Christ and as she gives her life over to Christ. What is it that brings about this great change or this rejoicing? The answer is really the truths that Mary is singing about. Here's the first one, letter A on your notes. So she rejoices a whole lot about her Savior, who God is, his attributes. And what we see in verses 49 and 50, for he who is mighty, that's the first attribute she's rejoicing in. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. That's the second attribute. So you got mighty, holy, and then verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So the third one is mercy. So he's mighty, he's holy, he's, he's merciful. In light of our, our sinfulness and brokenness and fallen world, because he's mighty, he can do something about our, our dilemma. Because he's holy, he, he, he must do something about our dilemma. And he knows exactly what to do about our dilemma. And because he's merciful, he wants to do something about our dilemma. Now, biblical knowledge and sound doctrine are important, but they're not enough. I mean, I could tell you about the fact that God's mighty and he's holy and he's merciful all day long, but you've got to walk out the implications of that in your own personal life. That's what she's doing. She's celebrating. She's her heart is ignited with with the greatness of that the fact that he's mighty, he's holy, he's merciful. They must be turned into worship that captivates your, your heart, your whole heart, and your life. So my question for you, do you glory in his attributes? When you, when you cover texts like this, that what does that mean that he's mighty? What does it mean that he's holy? What does it mean that he's merciful? And I just said it. He's mighty. you have any problems? He's bigger than any problem you'll ever face. He's holy. What does that mean? He knows exactly what you need. He's merciful. What does that mean? He cares about you. He's going to take care of you. And see, the more that you do, the more that you do that, the more that you glory in his attributes, the less you'll be disillusioned by the pain of suffering and deceived by the the pleasures of sin. The less you're going to be distracted and drawn away. The less you're going to be overwhelmed by trials and overtaken by, by temptations. In fact, inordinate emotions, you hear me say this quite a bit, inordinate emotions, anxiety, anger, and despair. Anybody ever experienced that in your life? Let's fess up. All of us do, don't we? Yeah, you just need a friend that will tell you that you're stressed out right now and you need to get a grip, okay? That's what what, uh, Elizabeth was saying to to Mary. Hey, come on, this is what you need to focus on. And uh, so we all do that. Inordinate emotions, inordinate anxiety, anger, despair, are often caused by an inordinate hope for something to give me what only Jesus can give me. So that's how I identify my, my, my misplaced hope. I put my too much hope. Sometimes I put my too much hope in my kids. I put too much hope in my marriage. I put too much hope in my bank account. I put too much hope in any of those things. They're gonna let you down. It's inevitable, but when they begin to let you down, it gives you opportunity to put your hope in Christ, and that only happens as you begin to glory in his attributes and who he is for you. That's what she's doing. Here's the next one, what God does, his purposes. So who God is, his attributes, 
So she rejoices a whole lot about her Savior, who God is, his attributes, mighty, holy, merciful, and what God does, his purposes. This is what he does. He opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Who are the recipients of his work? It's those who are humble. We see that in verses 51 through 53. I added the cross-reference James 4, 6, and I wrote it down there for you. That's what it means. He opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Listen to verses 51 through 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. That's it. I mean, so in that he's just saying, hey, this is his purposes. That if you want to experience his grace, what do you need? All you need is what? Need, that's it, yes. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion is a works righteousness. It's the good are in, the bad are out. Look them up, study them. All the major religions and cults of our world today, it's all about works righteousness. It's all about the good are in, the bad are out. You hit the standard, you're in, you're one of us. You achieve it, you earn it. You you can't achieve it or earn it in Christianity. It's given to you, it's a gift. It's a gift and it comes to those who are in need. And that's even a work of the Holy Spirit, that you recognize, oh, I need him, yes. Yes, you're a candidate of his grace. And she realized that, and we need to realize that. God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. You may appear to have more by earthly standards, and yet have less of what really matters. The richest people on this planet are rich in God's grace. Self-sufficient people, proud people, will never, will never experience the wealth of his presence, the comfort of his love, the strength of his power, the significance of being called his child. This is what money can't buy. This goes beyond anything that you've ever experienced in your life, what he offers us. And it comes to all of us who will humble ourselves and recognize our need for him and give him our our lives. How do we do that? Here's the next one. Why God does it. It's covenant. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. I find it interesting there at the very end of, of the Mary's expression of praise as she magnifies her Savior. Verse 55, she says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let me just tell you a little bit about Abraham. Abraham is considered the father of our faith. I gave you the cross-reference there, Genesis 15, the story there, but I just want to tell you a little bit about this, and this is going to transition us right into our communion time, and I think it'll be really helpful for us. But you guys familiar with Abraham, 12th chapter of Genesis, where God came to Abraham and called him out from among his idolatrous culture and his own family, and he said, "Uh, Abraham, I'm drawing you into a relationship with me, and I want to bless you so that you're a blessing. I'm going to give you lineage. I'm going to give you offspring and I'm going to give you land. And Abraham uh, was certainly excited about that, yes, but it seems like it's taking a long time. By the time we hit chapter 15 of Genesis, God comes to Abraham again and says, Abraham, I'm your, uh, I'm your shield and great reward. Don't be afraid. And Abraham 
has this amazing doubt, which we all struggle with doubt in our lives, begins to doubt God and says, yeah, but you haven't given me any kind of a lineage, no offspring. In fact, the only one that's gonna inherit what I have is gonna be a servant. And so he's doubting God, he's doubting God's character, and so God says, no, 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 your servant's not gonna be one that's gonna inherit what you have. No, I'm gonna give you offspring. In fact, come, out, come outside. Abraham, look into the sky, night sky. See the stars, begin to count the stars. So Abraham begins to count the stars. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He can't count them. He says, I can't count those. There's way too many. So shall your offspring be. That's what God says to him. And it says something quite fabulous there. It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then almost immediately after that, God says, and I'm gonna give you a land. And after that, Abraham doubts again. He says, yeah, but, yeah, but, I, I was doubting you, but now I'm doubting me. I'm not sure that I can even come into that land and really conquer the land and, and take hold of the land of what you have for me. And by the way, when you talk about lineage and land, you're talking about the, the idea of lineage as offspring. It's, it's really speaking of fruitfulness, that God wants us to be fruitful. That's what he's talking about there. That's the New Testament parallel of that. God wants us to be fruitful people. But the land really speaks of fulfillment, the land of milk and honey, milk, strength, honey, satisfaction, real fulfillment in our lives. And that's what uh, he's leading us to and what we can experience. But he doubts it. He begins to doubt it. And God does something really quite fabulous here. If you're familiar with the story, God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut a deal with you, Abraham. And he does something that they were very familiar with. We're not familiar with it, but he was gonna cut a contract with him or, or a covenant is what it's called, really. Abraham lived in an oral storytelling culture where they made contracts by acting them out. And what, would they, what they did is that he asked Abraham to take these animals and cut them in half. And so they would cut these animals in half and then they would walk between the pieces. In essence, as they would walk between the pieces, the two people making this covenant or this contract deal is that they would walk between the pieces in essence saying that if I don't fulfill my vow according to this contract, may I be cut up like this animal. How many think we should go back to that kind of uh, contracts? Okay, there's not very many of us. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we ought to do that, but, but that's, that's a pretty powerful covenant, pretty powerful contract. What's fascinating about this story is that in those days, if a king was gonna make a covenant with, uh, with someone who of lesser status than the king, the king was not required to walk between the pieces. He had nothing to prove. But that of the lesser status had to walk between the pieces. But what's fascinating about the story here is that who walks between the pieces and who doesn't walk between the pieces is that in this story, God walks between the pieces and Abraham doesn't walk between the pieces. And God is in essence saying, and, and really this is a, a one-sided covenant, God is saying, I will be torn apart if I fail and I'll be torn apart if you fail. And thousands of years later, he was torn apart because we failed. And we can't keep the covenant. It's amazing. When this hit me years ago, I began to understand. I began to understand grace. It overwhelmed me. What? What? It's, this is kind of a one-sided covenant. And, and the question I often ask, and I did it a few weeks ago, are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? And most people say, well, they're conditional. Others will say, no, they're unconditional. And I will say, yes, both. 
Because on the cross, Jesus Christ absolutely fulfilled the conditions of the law so that God could love us absolutely unconditionally. That's mind-blowing. What that means is that God is always for us because in Christ our sins can never be held against us. And this is what ultimately transforms us. The Bible does not say, hey, get your act together and then come to Christ and maybe he'll accept you. It doesn't say that. It says come to Christ just as you are. Understand how he has blessed you and that will transform your life unbelievably. We don't obey him to get his blessing. We have his blessing, therefore we obey him. Of course, of course we're gonna obey him. I'm gonna talk more next weekend about the blessings that we have in him. They're, they're overwhelming. They're overwhelming. The blessings come before the obedience. The blessings come before we, we have to do anything. We, we just believe, we put our faith in him, we trust him, we receive all that he has. It's not a changed life that brings his blessing, it's, it's his blessing that brings a changed life. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. We're gonna prepare our hearts for communion here this morning. And so God, we are more sinful than we ever dared to think, but more loved than we ever dared to dream. We were so sinful that your son Jesus had to die for us, but so loved, he loved us so much. You loved us so much that you wanted to die for us. May your amazing grace get a greater grip on our lives in the context of, of healthy, healthy community, producing in us a humble confidence of unspeakable and glorious joy that the best circumstances in life can't give and the worst can't take it away. In Jesus' great, holy, and merciful name, we pray these things. There's three stations up.